Insurmountable. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Insurmountable is exactly the hill that the Lakers and the Celtics face in the NBA Conference Finals. I'm back. Hope you enjoyed the mailbag episode Thursday. I went to see Bruce Springsteen, got back yesterday afternoon. Have not slept because when you get back from overseas, you're supposed to go right to sleep but I didn't sleep the night before either. So I slept on the plane, which you're not supposed to do. And then I was up and excited about the show, et cetera, et cetera. And two funny things happened while I was away. And it brought me back to my time in baseball. When you travel east, which is the direction of Europe, think about what time sporting events are on. So a seven o'clock game, Italy is six hours late or if you're in France or even England, five hours past. So a seven o'clock game is starting at midnight or sometimes 1 a.m. if you're six hours ahead. So what I would do, I never missed a game. When I was traveling and there was a game happening, I would still, in the early days, I had a beeper with those blinking dots that would go through every ball, every strike, and then it would show a diamond with runners at different places. I would follow the game on that live all through the night. Then it got really advanced and I was able to get the advanced beeper, which would actually show which players were up and which players were on base. And of course, by the time I career ended, you could watch the games, assuming you had Wi-Fi wherever you were. So I wouldn't miss anything. And it completely changes how you are during a vacation because you're up all night and then you need to be around for your friends or family. You don't wanna spend all day in bed. So basically it's perfect for someone like me because you're not sleeping. So you're watching sports till four in the morning. Then you're doing the post-game conversations, which I don't have to do these days. But in those days, I would speak to the GM, speak to the manager, speak to the owner, all those things, acting as though it didn't matter what times when I was in. And then I would go to bed for 30 minutes and wake up and have a day. So I decided for this weekend, I wasn't gonna do it because I was grinding all over for the three days I was gone, going to the Springsteen concert in Ferreira, which was gonna be canceled. The Grand Prix got canceled about 20 minutes from Bologna where I was, which is only about a half hour from Ferreira, which is about an hour and a half northeast of Venice. And the rains have been historic. The mud has been historic. And you know me well enough to know that I don't love getting dirty. It was hard enough to be on Survivor and have sand in between my toes. And I I don't lean into it the way I should. If I don't have an exit strategy for how I'm gonna get clean or how it's gonna work, I just get all inside my head. So flying over there Wednesday night, the concern was, will the concert even happen? Because the entire region was underwater. So we get there and the concert is happening. For whatever reason, the skies were blue during the concert on Thursday night in Ferreira. However, it is a park. He played in a park like Central Park. Picture going to see Simon and Garfunkel in Central Park or whoever you wanna go see and picture it having rained multiple inches and it became a mud pit. 
That's where I was. And you can't drive to the concert. It's in the tiny, tiny town. The whole town, hotels are generally $49 a night or $9 an hour in this little town. For this night of Springsteen, where he had never played, where 50,000 people went to a concert, the hotels were now $4.99 a night for a one-star hotel because you had no other choice. But there's no driving, so you walk basically two miles or three clicks to the concert. Then you stand because there's no seats, and he plays for three hours, and then the egress out of the facility. So two things that happened of note. A, it was an amazing concert, but B, the egress out of the park, it was like being stuck in the parking lot at MetLife after a Giants game, or after a sold out game at Pro Player, or with 5,000 people at Marlins Park. Impossible to get out except it wasn't drivers, it was all of us walking, but they closed all exits to the park. Can you imagine going to Central Park in New York City and only being able to leave on 81st Street in the west side, but they bring you into the park at 79th on the east side and make you walk all the way down to Central Park South, all the way around to leave in one place and then come back. It was totally ridiculous. So it took two hours to get out, and I was covered in mud. And all I kept thinking is, what am I gonna do? How do I deal with it? And I did, except last night at 3 a.m. I was cleaning my shoes. Okay, I'm back. It was fun. I watched the games. I said I wasn't gonna do it, but of course I did. So I watched each of the games and they started at 8.30 Eastern time, which was 2.30 in the morning. So I was watching them from 2.30 till five in the morning. And I came up with the following conclusion. We don't know as an industry, you don't know as the public, no one knows anything about anything. And that sounds like a pretty harsh conclusion to make, but all of these predictions about who's gonna win, all of the lines that are done, I always say in Vegas, they have these lines, how do they get it so right? I've noticed in the Heat Celtics series, there may be a few people who've gotten it wrong. 97% of the machines said the Celtics would win. And somehow people were still betting the Celtics on the road last night to win game three in Miami. Four and a half point favorites. Who was betting the Celtics? We had a pick of the day the day we left that said the Heat were gonna plus eight was a great, great line for the first game of the series. I had no idea how this would turn out, that good players could play so badly, that a team could quit the way the Celtics have quit. If you are the owner of the Boston Celtics and you watched that game last night, I may not even wait to lose the series before firing Joe Missoula. I may not even wait. I'm not sure that it's necessary to wait. It can't be worse. No, David, they're just missing shots. That's what the GM says. There'll be a reversion to the mean. Jason Tatum is going to get hot. Jalen Brown's going to be fine. Horford's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Don't you worry. It can't work out. It's over. The Miami Heat are going to the NBA Finals. You think 149 times in history when teams have had a 3-0 lead and they go 149 for 149? 
that this is the team. The Celtics are the team to win four straight against Eric Spolster and Pat Riley in the heat. No chance, toilet pants. It's over. And the worst part is when you watch it as an executive and you see your players quit, you want to run down to the locker room and you want to scream. You want to turn over the spread. You want to send them, forget the charter plane back to Boston. You want to get a charter boat, a rowboat. All these players getting all these things, all the five-star accommodations, all of the money they make. All I ask is how about some effort? How about caring just a smidge? You don't notice that the Celtics look like the Lakers. The Lakers are losing to a better team. They're down three nothing to the Nuggets because Jokic is the best player on the planet, number one. Number two, the supporting cast around Jokic is better than anyone on the Lakers other than James and maybe Davis. And Jokic is better than all of them. But LeBron James doesn't quit. LeBron James isn't successful really when he's down three nothing. Wait a minute, because no one's successful when they're down three nothing. He actually was part of a team that overcame a 3-1 deficit. So what Lakers fans are saying is, all you have to do is win tonight if you're the Lakers. And then you're down 3-1, and we overcame 3-1 against the Cavaliers, as the Cavaliers, excuse me, in the NBA Finals. Is that how it works? That's how we tell the players when you're down 3-0 or 3-1, you say, hey, just win the next one, and then who can't win two in a row? So you win game five, you win game four, and then you say, hey, we can win three in a row. That's no big deal. I just find it to be something special. LeBron James has an opportunity to make history, and there are people who are LeBron James enthusiasts who believe this is their moment. It's not gonna happen. LeBron James has actually played, I don't know if you know this, in 53 playoff series in his career, which is amazing. He's only been down three nothing four times. It's nothing. And do you know what his record is? <laughs> oh and four, obviously. So this is gonna be it. Oh and three, and now it's gonna be oh and four. So let me talk to you a little bit about the Lakers and the Heat and the Nuggets and the Celtics and Adam Silver. Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA who sits around, goes to games, does some press avails sits next to Bob Iger and talks about whether or not he wants to take his place as the new chairman of Disney, or maybe finding out whether or not ESPN is willing to triple its bid to retain NBA rights. He looks at this conference finals where it is the possibility of the first time ever that both finals will be a sweep and he's upset. And the reason he's upset is that the broadcast networks, they want seven games. That's how they make their money back. They give leagues a deal on the assumption there'll be X number of playoff games during the course of that deal. That's the math they use. I can't wait to talk to Skipper about this actually, because I wanna know A, how he would feel as president of ESPN, but more importantly, whether he'll tell you the truth which is a Heat Nuggets final is exactly the only final they didn't want as they headed into all the combinations of NBA finals with the conference finals or even the conference semifinals. When you went through all the choices, Heat Nuggets wasn't it. 
Then if you add on top of that, the fact that out of a possible 21 games, the most they could end up having is 15. That's a problem. It does, it sounds like not a big deal, right? All you did was miss out on six games. Well, but a four nothing series versus getting to a game seven, true, you're only missing three games, but that's where all of the profit is. That's where profit is to the teams. That's where profit is to the league, to the players, to the referees, to the umpires, but more importantly, to the networks. So when the networks are putting together their projections, they actually have in there, when you're negotiating a deal, what number of playoff games they will be guaranteed. Did you know that there are make goods? Do you know there are provisions in media deals that I have seen where if you do not get a certain number of games that the leagues have to do something. They don't get money, have to give money back, but they have to deliver other programming. They have to sometimes even extend a deal. It's like when you toll a contract during a striker lockout, when a broadcast network has a 10-year deal with a league and you lose a whole year. Players' contracts, you can negotiate, but in general, that player gets a year older and that year of the player and his salary is gone forever. So if the player is a four-year deal at 25 million a year and you miss a year for a striker lockout, that turns into a three-year, $75 million deal. In the media deals, what often happens is a 10-year deal at a billion dollars a year. It's not that, but just for math's sake, they would extend it to an 11th year for a billion dollars if they lose a year. That's how the network can possibly excuse the amount of money it pays for these rights. So Adam Silver sitting around, meeting with the referees, trying to see if there's any possible way to get Scott Foster doing the heat game, seeing if they can get the Celtics to extend this back to a game five in Boston. And my prediction is that both these series will end in four games. And the reason I think it is that I don't believe that it is some sort of mistake what's been happening. Look at what happened last night in the, in the Heat game. Look at what happened in the Laker Nugget game in all the games. People are saying they just got outshot. I don't really buy that. That's like saying in baseball, what our owner would say is, hey, he would often say, man, our hitting stinks. And we would say, it's not that our hitting stinks, it's that the pitching was so good that we couldn't hit. And good pitching beats good hitting. Always in baseball. When you look at what Jokic is, he can't be stopped. You're not going to beat him four times in a row for sure. But it's not as though they are walking around gloating. It's not as though they're doing anything to poke the bear. It's not as though they're doing anything like what the Celtics did to the Heat, what the Grizzlies did to the Lakers. The Nuggets are way too smart. They're way too well coached. They're just too good an organization. As a matter of fact, you had quotes from Jokic after winning game three, where he said, listen, this series is far from over. We're talking about the greatest player who ever played. We're talking about someone don't say they've never done it because they can do it. We want to get it done. Green said, we want to get it done right now because we don't want to miss an opportunity because if you give them hope, all of a sudden we could be in a position to lose the series. I love it. I love the fact that the front office and the coaching staff got involved with the players to talk about messaging. 
I love the fact that there's that level of communication, which is in contrast to what's going on with the Celtics, where it seems as though there's no communication between the players and the coaches. And any time Missoula tries to do anything, it seems that Tatum really doesn't react and the team doesn't react. So where does this end? It ends with a sweep and it ends with a pick of the day. We're taking the Nuggets plus three and a half over the Lakers. And we're taking that tonight. And the reason we're taking that tonight is that while I think it would be better for the NBA for LeBron to make it to the finals, obviously, while I think it would be better for the NBA for the Lakers to win tonight, obviously, while I think you will see a disproportionate number of calls go against the Nuggets tonight than you'd otherwise see, and I'm no conspiracy theorist, Oliver Stone, this is going to happen. They can't overcome the fact that the Nuggets are that much better. That's why we're taking the Nuggets plus three and a half over the Lakers. Of course, the mentality of the Lakers is exactly what you'd hope LeBron would do. He's gonna have a team meeting and say, guys, we're not down three, nothing. All we gotta do is win today. Just win today. Let's get this back to Denver. All we gotta do is win a game five on the road. And all of a sudden game six becomes game seven for the Nuggets because they start panicking and we'll be at home. You win game six, all of a sudden you go to Denver for game seven. We're already used to the altitude because we've been there so many times in the last week. God knows we can win one game on the road. And before you know it, you're making history, except they won't get a chance to. <sighs> Happy birthday, Sarah Reinerson. I know you're listening. Sarah Reinerson is a famous, famous Paralympian. She is a amputee. I ran with her across the world, around the world. I've done marathons with her. She is part of Challenge Athletes Foundation. She works with Nike, developing amazing, amazing, not just legs for those who need them, running legs, but all sorts of things that she's doing. And I wanna give her a shout out because she's the first ever amputee, single leg amputee to finish the Hawaii Ironman and I did the Ironman in 06, and I am fully able-bodied, and she did it faster than I did it. Took me 15 hours, 36 minutes. I think she did it in a tad over 15 hours. Sarah, happy birthday. All right. Let's talk about the other issue in baseball that seems to be getting a lot of attention, and I'm not exactly sure why we're gonna mention this again but a new article came out and The Athletic did a whole discussion of this. And I wanna just add some clarity to the Tampa situation. There's an article where The Athletic reported that the Rays have been talking to buyers, also investors, and there's a possibility that, that, that Stuart Sternberg, the owner, could sell the team. There's a chance that buyers wanna buy the team to move it. Some people wanna buy it to keep it in Tampa, et cetera. This is not news in my opinion, and I love The Athletic. You should subscribe if you don't. The reason why this is not news to me is there are people inquiring to buy teams, every team, every day. Even the Yankees get calls, totally normal. Owners go up to their team president and say, hey, what do you think the team's worth? What do you think we could get? Just asking for a friend. The Tampa situation is they need a ballpark. They're gonna get a ballpark deal done as we said they would in Tampa or St. Pete. I still think it'll be St. Pete. 
Stuart Sternberg has waited as long as he can wait to get the deal he wants. His team continues to go up in value more than the losses, which have existed some years in Tampa and not others. They continue to perform on the field better than teams with way higher payrolls. We're going to talk about the Padres later in this show. I can't wait to talk about the Padres. I'm not taking a victory lap yet, yet, but I'm getting really close. I was going to take a little victory lap on the Mets, then they won like five in a row. I wouldn't do that to either you, Matt, or you, Scott, or all the great Mets fans out there. Anyway, so it's not newsworthy that people are calling Stu and saying, hey, do you want to sell? Here's why he's not selling before getting a ballpark. Because when you put in 300 million into your ballpark, your team increases in value by 600 million that day. So that seems like a pretty good investment. And if there's one thing that Stuart Sternberg is, he's smart. He surrounds himself with smart people. This is the single last time you would sell your team out of all of the possible times, including before COVID, during COVID, right after COVID, when you thought that you had no chance for a ballpark, of all of the times, this is not it. So here's how it ends with the Rays. The same way I've told you it would end for the last several years. It ends with a ballpark and a smile. It ends with an increased valuation. And then sadly, it ends without the concomitant increase in attendance that they are hoping for. I know of these things. The new stadium attendance bump panacea, those days are over. The reason why you need to get a new stadium is that you want the appearance of the possibility of those things happening. I wonder what we're gonna read about for the rest of the year with Tampa and Oakland. I'm getting tired of reading about the comparisons every day. The Oakland A's are the worst team ever. They're gonna be worse than the 62 Mets. They're gonna lose 174 games, which is incredibly hard in today's baseball to lose that many. It's the worst team. They get scouts off the record. Why do you have to go off the record to say they're a bad team? Why not just go on the record and say, yeah, I scouted them. They're the worst team I've ever scouted. I've told you the great line that I'm gonna tell you again. John Fisher is making more money for minor league players than any owner in history. Of course, their team is not winning. They're just not good enough. And of course, it matters not to Vegas or to Oakland in the negotiation for a new ballpark. It keeps being written, and I don't know why. What, what, what would be the reason that people think there's a correlation between winning and ballparks or winning and team valuations? Here's the correlation. Revenue and valuations, except it's not even direct because you can have a team with horrific revenue that is sold at a multiple of its EBITDA, that's infinity because the team loses money. Again, I've seen it, I've done it. There is high, high, <laughs> it's, okay. Uh, it's enough, Coca, right? It's enough. For fans of Oakland, it's gonna get better. For fans of Tampa, how can it get better? Maybe with a ring? We'll keep talking about it. All right. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, I wanna review and talk about the documentary I watched with about Anna Nicole Smith 
and then we're gonna talk about the Padres. And I'm gonna say something to you about the Padres that they're talking about internally, that they're gonna pretend to you that they're not talking about, and you know what it is. And if you don't, just hang on for like 24 seconds. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That was not 24 seconds. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We're live at 8 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe. Of course, we are available wherever you get your podcast because we're a podcast. I wonder if all of these shows that also are on a network, are they considered TV shows or podcasts? When you do a show that has 12 minute and 30 second hard outs and it's on a network, but then they create it into a podcast, is it known more as the podcast or the TV show? And do you act differently when you're one or the other? All I know is that we've got video, we've got audio, and we're just us. So tell your friends, tell your family. There's a lot of content out there and I do appreciate your time. Keep that in mind. I don't take it for granted. I try to get to as many DMs as I can. A lot of you reached out about the South Beach. Let me do that again, please. Four, six, nine. A lot of you have reached out about the South Beach Sessions episode that was released on the Levitard Network on Friday. That was an episode of an interview that I recorded with Dan one-on-one. We were together for an hour and we talked about all sorts of things about our relationship, about our business relationship, about our personal relationship. I appreciate the fact that you're willing to give me 45 minutes of your time every day. And then when you're watching the other content I'm doing, whether it's the local hour or the weekly movie segments with Adnan or the extra podcasts I do wherever I do it, it's humbling. So thank you. I don't want to talk much more about South Beach Sessions, you may want to check it out though. All right, even when I travel, I watch a movie every day, which is incredibly frustrating to the people I'm traveling with. And I try to do it in the middle of the night, but then you've got sports to watch in the middle of the night, so you then do it after dinner when other people want to go out and you want to get back to your room so you can get the movie in before you start watching the live sports. I'm a real pleasure to travel with, I can tell you that. Excuse me, can I have more towels, please? So I watched this documentary. Oh God, I can't remember where I watched it. I think it's on Netflix. It dropped on Netflix. Anna Nicole Smith, they don't know me. There was a day when I was driving to work, the way it worked in Florida, I would take 595 East to the Turnpike South. For the first 10 years of my career in Florida, I would get off at the pro player 
Turnpike Extension. And for the last five years, I'd keep going to 95 South and get off on 395 and go to Marlins Park. But either way, every day, I'm passing the Hard Rock um, Casino. The Hard Rock Hotel and Casino is on the Turnpike. It's now known as the Guitar Shaped Hotel. They do commercials everywhere. Yes, they do have a lot of money and it's yours. So one day I was driving on the Turnpike and there were a bunch of helicopters. When you see helicopters and you're driving, the assumption is there's an accident, a traffic accident. And they've got the news helicopters or the traffic helicopters. That's how I grew up in New York. When helicopters are hovering, go the other direction. There's no other way I could go. I could have gone to 441, but I didn't. That's a very inside South Florida term. But there's a couple ways you can go. Maybe I could have gone on the 826 to the 836. Suffice it to say, I went the direction I always go. There are the helicopters looking for the accident. No accident. Get to the office. And all of a sudden, Anna Nicole Smith is dead. She died of an overdose in the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino right on the turnpike in Broward. I thought I knew everything there was to know about Anna Nicole Smith, everything about her background, everything about being the spokesperson for guest genes, everything about the fact that she was married to a, the 200 year old man, wanted his money, got his money, wasn't in it for the money, didn't get the money. The daughter got the money, didn't get the money. I thought I was up to date. It turns out there's a lot of footage and a lot of facts that I was not aware of. I actually, watched this documentary and left it feeling badly for her when while it was happening, one of those rare cases when you can watch a documentary that you were a part of because you lived it, you remember it happening in real time, and it actually changed my mind because during the time that I was focused on this story and on her life, I thought that she was a gold digger. I thought that she was in it for money, and listen, I have great respect. If that's what you want to do, do it. Just wear it and acknowledge it and say that's what you're doing. And don't just say, oh my God, I love him so much. I think his name was John Edward Marshall, some oil billionaire. Anyway, so during the course of this documentary, I actually almost felt empathy. I felt something. I think you should watch it. If you don't know her story, it's a really interesting story. If you do know her story, test it. That is a callback to the South Beach Sessions, but test it. Test your theory. Test your hypothesis. Anna Nicole Smith, they don't know me. Check it out on Netflix. All right. I sent a tweet while I was away, I believe, because I was so awfully excited. One of the things that happens when you are in sports long enough, A, you eat badly and you're overweight, but B, you build up a list of teams and players you don't like. Nobody admits it. I didn't admit it once when I was running the team. And for that, I'm sorry. I really am. But as president, that's what you do. You always say, hey, we traded a player. We never looked back. Everyone always say, did you ever look at Miguel Cabrera's triple crown and say, wow, Aren't you sad he's not a Marlin? And I would say, of course, I'm not sad. It's disappointing that we had to trade him, but we did. It was in the best interest of the team. Meanwhile, I'm eating my heart out. Of course, I'm annoyed. Of course, when we make a trade and the players we get back suck, I notice it. 
all of that said, there are teams that people root against inside the industry because of the people or the circumstances. The San Diego Padres joined the New York Mets going into the 2023 season as the two teams that every other front office and every other owner wanted to lose. Their payrolls are ridiculous. Steve Cohen wants to write checks, cover losses, great. Even though he's not writing checks because of the finances of owning a team for the first five years, but whatever. Peter Seidler, owner of the Padres, wants to walk around shaking hands, signing autographs, pretending that they're gonna catch the Dodgers, pretending they are the Dodgers, do it. Zeigesund, have fun. That was not Gesundheit, by the way, two different words. But now the Padres are in a position where we're gonna learn a lot about whether Peter Seidler, the owner, or AJ Preller, the GM, are worth anything because the San Diego Padres need to be sellers at this year's trade deadline. Like now. Hear me out. The Padres opened the season with the odds that they would not just win the division, but make the playoffs, if not win the World Series. Their odds of making the playoffs are down to 56.4%, according to projections, which we know from the Heat Celtics series mean about as much four, six, nine, which according to the projections, which I really don't think mean anything because you got to play the games. And now if the Padres are playing the games, they're losing and their projections have gone from 85% to 56%, but I view their percentage chance of making the playoffs as zero. Why? Because when you look at the makeup of the team, what they thought they were putting together, which was the greatest lineup since sliced bread, with Juan Soto in there with Tatis after suspension, with signing Bogarts. Guess what? Machado's hurt. Tatis is fine. Soto's been horrible, but a good May. But when you hit 318 and hit a bunch of home runs in a month and your team goes 6-12, and 12, does it actually matter that you're playing better? Their pitching's mediocre. Their bullpen's mediocre. Their hitting's mediocre. Everything about them is a non-playoff team. And the thing that separates good front offices from bad and good owners from bad is knowing when you were delusional. They went into the season under the assumption that they were gonna win. How they pivot when they're not will tell you everything. If they hold on to Joshua Hader as an example, who's a pending free agent and do not trade him to a contender at the deadline, they're idiots. And I don't like calling people names. Sometimes it can be inflammatory. So let me give you something else. They're incompetent to not trade Hader, to not get rid of Blake Snell. You go to Blake Snell and you say, listen, thank you, appreciate it. See you later. I can't imagine any team wants a five and diver, but if you want them, you can have them. How about this one? What do you do with Juan Soto? If Juan Soto were on the Washington Nationals today and the Nationals had a 21 and 26 record in fourth place in the National League East, all anybody would be talking about 
is where's Juan Soto going to be traded? It's not like the Nationals are a low revenue team or a small market team. It's not like they didn't win a World Series in 2019 because they did more so than the Padres have ever done, but that's all anyone would be saying. Where's Soto being traded? Where's that talk now? Why am I the sole voice? Why am I the only rational person? Juan Soto has a year left before he's a free agent. This is when he's at his most valuable. His value declines every day. You wanna hold on, make another run next year? You think that Peter Seiler's gonna run the same payroll back next year, reboot, build it up? bring in more. You don't think he looks in, at his partners, looks in the mirror and says, my God, we got to take money away from Preller, not give it to him. You can't count on Preller to sell at the deadline. If you're the owner, you have to tell Preller to sell at the deadline. And how about doing it now? The reason I love making May trades is that if somehow your team is deserving of an ad, why not subtract now, save some money on your payroll, and then if the team starts playing better, add before the deadline, which isn't for two months. But now you have an opportunity to save money and cut your losses. But in order to do it, you have to acknowledge what is true about your team. And what is true about the Padres, they're just not good enough. You think they're gonna sign Juan Soto long-term? From Major League Baseball standpoint, when they look at the financials of the Padres, they actually have a say in what the Padres do. The Padres are in violation of every single part of the debt service rule. And here's how I know it. When you have a negative EBITDA or your team is losing money, you're not allowed to have any debt. I mean, they give you like $100 million of debt, but you're not allowed to have the debt that these teams have. And the purpose of the debt service rule is to make teams profitable because you know teams are gonna have debt. If you want to punish a team and get them to lower their payroll, start enforcing the debt service rule. Baseball could start enforcing that rule on the Padres. That'd be one way to get their payroll in line. And one way to do it is to cut losses this year because you still have half a year left. If you're paying Josh Hader $14 million and you trade him now, you're saving more than $7 million of losses. It makes perfect sense. I never know why a team under 500 who's not gonna make the playoffs needs to have a great closer. Not necessary. And you know Machado's hurt. So this is my plea. San Diego, do the right thing. The Dodgers are a better team. They're gonna win the division as we predicted they would. They find a way through all of their injuries. They bring up prospects. They still have a farm system that produces. They find a way. The Padres find a way to waste money, lose money, and underperform. So let's watch this. Let's actually do something a little cray-cray. Let's do an official wait to see. That's when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, great. Either way, we'll revisit it. The San Diego Padres will be sellers. Epic. Who would have thunk it? I love it. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. We are 77 and 75. On Wednesday when I left, we had Garrett Cole and the Yankees beating the Blue Jays and the Yankees got walked off in the 10th inning, that's a loss. But then on Thursday, we had the Blue Jays beating the Yankees 
because I told you Nestor Cortez is not what he was, and yet the Yankees won that game. So that was two losses. So we're 77 and 75 because we won that heat game. Yankees news while I was gone was big. They designated for assignment. If you listen to the mailbag, Coco, was that this mailbag when we talked about designated for assignment? I get the feeling that it was, but I don't have the exact memory of it. The guy, Aaron Hicks, if you're not a Yankees fan, you may not even know him. Aaron Hicks is an outfielder, was signed to a big, big contract, 70 or 80 or $90 million. And he was a young player and he was performing and he's got this great Adonis-like body and he's got power, he's got speed, he's got an arm, he's this, he's this, he's that. Turns out he stinks. When you designate a player for assignment, that means that you have 10 days to trade him or waive him or just release him. What waivers mean is that every team gets an opportunity to take Aaron Hicks at his current salary. There are people out there, it must, have, it must be a, a bot or it must be a burner account for Cashman, where the thought is that someone may claim Aaron Hicks on waivers. Never in a million years will any team claim Aaron Hicks because that means you pay him what he's owed. If you let him clear, you can then sign him at the minimum. He's literally owed two more years. Two more years. How does it work? There's a line that a front office does, and I'm talking about the baseball people. We'll talk about the owner after. But the baseball people, they look at the contracts they sign and they wanna give every opportunity for those contracts to be winners. It is a difficult meeting when you come to the conclusion that a long-term contract you signed is not working out and they'd be better off designating the player or just getting rid, of, getting rid of the player. Believe me, getting rid of a player and paying that player, you see him on your payroll for the next two years. There's a whole line item for players who've been designated or players you owe money to who are not on your active roster. It stinks. You feel like a failure. But when the front office comes to the conclusion that they are ready to acknowledge failure to the owner, it is incumbent upon the owner to listen. But owners don't like designating players who have been signed to long-term deals because they feel as though, my God, we've wasted all these millions of dollars. It makes me want to get rid of the GM or the coach or the manager or somebody. We have to blame somebody. It is the rare owner who can designate a player for assignment under a long-term deal and just say, part of the game. They say instead, who's responsible? One of the things that is interesting to me about being successful when you run a team and something that I was not good enough at is that sometimes it's okay not to blame somebody. Sometimes bad things happen to good people Sometimes mistakes are made in a game where failure is such an important part of the process. And I don't mean the Sixers type process. The game itself is a game of failure in, bas in baseball. The reason why it's hard to say, hey, this is just how the cookie crumbles 
is that you want to say to yourself that next time we'll have a system in place or a process in place that will make it so this won't happen again. But the truth is it happens over and over. It's like firing trainers and saying we're not going to have injuries anymore. Of course, you're going to have injuries. It's part of the game. We can study it. We can pour tens of millions of dollars into training, into making sure that we're doing everything we can for players to not get hurt. And they're still going to get hurt because it's just not natural what we ask these players to do. And then we tell them, don't do substances. So Hal Steinbrenner finally gave in and allowed the baseball people to designate Hicks. But if the baseball people were good, which I do believe they are, even though I think Cashman needs to get let go because the Yankees are not gonna win the World Series, but I've been saying that for years. Cashman knew deep in his heart that they needed to get rid of Hicks long ago. And he was ready to do it because good GMs who have job security and God knows he's got job security, they do what's best for the team in the short term, midterm, long term. When you've got GMs who are playing like they're in the wild, wild west or all on one year contracts, they only care about the short term. So I'm going to assume that the Yankees were ready to move on from Hicks long ago. And then it's a matter of convincing the owner to write off the contract figuratively. So Aaron Hicks is gone. Some of you may be happy. Some of you may not be happy, but it's the right move. Our pick for tonight is going to be the Braves over the Dodgers. The Braves are minus 155 over the Dodgers. It could be an LCS preview in the National League. And what I wanted to point out, and I touched on it earlier, but wanted to make sure you were focused on it. Take a look at what the Dodgers are doing with their call-ups. Small market teams sometimes get criticized for rushing players. Big market teams can get criticized for holding players down or not putting your best players on the field or all the service time manipulation we talk about. But when the season's happening, and you're competitive, and you're in the latter part of May, you're actually focused on winning, especially when you have no other choice but to call up these prospects. And that's where the Dodgers are. The reason they're calling up these pitchers is the injuries they've had to sustain are incomprehensible. They just had to put Urias on the injured list. However, the Braves are going to win tonight. That said, the Padres aren't going to catch the Dodgers. That said, the Padres are going to sell. And on top of everything, the Lakers and the Celtics are finished. After all, it's just business. See you tomorrow. This is nothing personal.